December 17th, 2020. Overtimers, let's do this. If you are new to the podcast, my name is David Oliver, and this is Overtime with Oliver Documenting St. Louis. Today's guest is Jay Delsing, host of Golf with Jay Delsing on ESPN 101 and in podcast form. Good guy. We talk golf and life. COVID testing at home, almost check. Vaccines available in U.S., check for some. New president, check, check. Let's all wear our masks and get to May. New zoo recruiting, I like what I'm seeing. Three things you should if you have not. On Prime, Mystify, a biopic on NXS frontman Michael Hutchins. At the end of the day, life with no smell or taste, I'm in the longer line. Also on Prime, the movie The Words. If you were a writer and found someone else's great unpublished American novel, would you make it your own? Bradley Cooper, Jeremy Irons, Dennis Quaid, I enjoyed it. Okay, this is where I ask you, if you have not already, to subscribe to the podcast. Just hit that little button. Gets great St. Louis conversations in front of more people. You can also go on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is OT with Oliver, St. Louis 7s. Want to know what Jay's favorite concert is, was? Check it out. Lastly, number three, go check out Jay's podcast. What a great spectrum of guests. Golf with Jay Delsing. So before this conversation, I had never spoken with Jay. This is what I found out. Self-deprecating, a person not resting on his laurels and embracing life's next act, a guy I'm looking forward to having a beer with. Welcome to the Overtime family, Jay Delsing. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. What took up your day today? Well, I'm about seven, I'm seven weeks today into a new knee. Uh, so about two and a half hours of rehab. And um, then I've been working uh, on all sorts of stuff with the show. And, um, you know, I have a couple of businesses. I have a... Um, uh, hospitality entertainment business. It's really just been hammered by this virus and, um, but it's not going to be like that forever. And so, uh, you know, touching base with some clients and, you know, doing some things like that, just, you know, God, I don't know how the hell I spend my, most of my day, but it seems I'm busy about something. I don't know what. Which knee? My right. And you're right-handed, right? Mm-hmm. So that's your back knee when you're playing golf? Yeah, it's probably easier because the left is, takes a lot of the pivot and turn. The right's got to be braced, and, I, and I've, I've struggled with that for, I mean, when the doctor asked me how long it's been hurting, I said, probably about 13 years. Mm. And he's like, man, what are you waiting for? I'm like, I don't like going to the doctor too much. <laughs> you guys always want to operate. <laughs> always want to cut. Everybody's got to yeah, cut. Man. Everybody wants to cut. So... On the podcast, we talked to a lot of people who grew up in St. Louis, and yeah. you grew up in North County. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in Glasgow Village, which, um, you know, back then, Oliver was pretty much Mayberry. It was um, tiny, small little houses, probably 1,000 square foot houses. Um, there were, oh gosh, I don't remember how many uh, people were in that um, that village, but it was everybody knew one another, and we all went to the same church. We all went to the same schools, and um, you know we um, we rode bikes over to each other's houses, and just 
our houses were so small. I was the fourth of five kids. You know, we did everything outside, you know. So I just had Curtis Strange on uh, the show. I have, it hasn't aired yet, but we were talking about growing up. And we grew up the same way, man. We, we were outside the whole time. And when the weather got colder, you know, we started playing uh, football and basketball. And, you know, and when it got warmer, we played golf and baseball. And, uh, it, you know, just it was a real simple time back then. When we were growing up in the winter with football, we would actually shovel sidelines. So you create your own little football field. That's cool. It was cool. Yeah, very cool. How Where did you grow up? We grew up, I grew up, well, I was born in North County in St. Anne's Parish. Mm -hmm. And then moved out I'm west. Sure. I guess we moved to Chesterfield like when I was around 10, ballpark it. Okay. Went to Priory. Did not play golf, should have. I think we talked about this when we set up the interview. I actually, my family belonged to Glen Echo. My mom right. grew up around there. Right. And one of the things I regret was at that point in time, I played a lot of tennis. And the reason I didn't play golf was it's going to come off bad. But when I played with people who were not my friends, I thought they were really snobby and they all cheated. And it's harder to cheat in tennis than it is in golf. So I just played a lot of golf. Yeah. Yeah, you mean you played a lot of tennis? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I understand. I mean, I will I, to this day. I'm I'm put off by the snob the snobbiness that occasionally comes around certain clubs and certain people, you know. But um, it's interesting because we talk about this. You know, we thought that you know golf has had plenty of exclusionary uh, traits, and one thing that people think is exclusionary but it's not in my opinion is money because i didn't have any money and the game didn't keep me out i started playing golf with uh my mom's clubs and a little bitty carry bag and um down on a golf course where you know for the whole day i could play for probably 10 bucks and um, it wasn't very good but it certainly didn't keep me out you know and um, interesting oliver a lot of the professional golfers on the PGA Tour in my era grew up a lot like that. Not country club kids at all. Everyone thinks that, you know, it was much more, we were much more athletic. And then I played golf. You know what I mean? I, I consider myself more of an athlete and then I wound up playing golf, not a golfer. You know, Tom Kite is a golfer. You know, Tom would have trouble hitting the backboard from the free throw line. He just would. <laughs> He's a damn good golfer. He's in the World Golf Hall of Fame, man. He won the U.S. Open. He's just terrific. But he would struggle anything, doing anything else athletically. Yeah, pick up basketball games on tour. We played softball. We did a lot of, you know, other fun, fun things that um, you could showcase some of your other skills. You know, and to clarify, my personal experience is not my overall opinion. When I, like, did pro-ams when I was a K-fan and we used to, you know, take clients out for the course and when there are charity events, those are a blast. I was just saying, when I was playing with somebody Tuesday at 1.30, I, I'd much rather just go out and play tennis and break a sweat. And sure. It's a great game. Golf, to me, and you've forgotten more than I know, but what I always enjoyed about it and what I admire about somebody like yourself is the ability to both physically and intellectually get it all done at the same time. I very rarely ever, sometimes if I, was, if I was physically there, my head wasn't in it. Or if I was in a zone, I, I was pushing everything to the left. 
It's a, it's an underappreciated uh, quality about the game because there is uh, a side of it that mentally, you know, really has to be on board, you know, so to speak. But, you know, one of the things, one of my favorite things, Oliver, about golf, and I just walked into this blindly, but the PGA Tour has donated more money to charities in its short existence. The PGA Tour has been around since the middle 60s. It's donated more money to charities than Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, and NBA combined. And we're on our third $3 billion of raising charitable money for people. When the PGA Championship was at Belle Reve in 2018, and you saw all of those the wonderful crowd and the way St. Louis – St. Louis as a corporate citizen showed up in spades, you know, and, and then you saw the crowds were out of hand. It was just incredible. Half of the money that that tournament raised, Oliver, stays local. You know, I listened to your podcast episode with Bob Costas. Oh. Great, by the way. Oh, my God. What a guy. I mean, talking about just, you know, rolling the ball out, the, 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 you know, and, and letting the, the game take care of the game. How about having Bob on the show? Well, you held your own. But one of the things he brought up was take what you just said about the PGA and charity, right? Now add on to that all the charity golf tournaments over right. and above that. Right. Now, now your head starts to scramble a little bit because that's just that line of just local charity golf tournaments. I don't even know what that probably calculates to be. Yeah, Oliver, we take for granted – uh, but the tour and golf itself is just a charitable engine, man. It's, it's one of these things that, um, you know, so many people, well, how many times do you get invited to go play on a Monday or a Wednesday or somewhere and, you know, raise money for, you know, boys and girls clubs or boys hope or St. Patrick's or you know, first tee, you name it. There's, there's not a bad charity, right? I mean, when people are in need, and you can help out, it's, man, it's, it's what we do. We have one thing in common. We have both interviewed Ed Wheatley. Uh, Ed, you know, my dad was a St. Louis Brownie. He played, uh, he had about a 10-year, 9 or 10-year major league baseball career uh, and played in St. Louis for about a year and a half and played for the Browns. He's, he's actually the answer, uh, Oliver, to probably the most obscure baseball trivia question ever. And, uh, he was the pinch runner for Eddie Goodell, who was, you know, the midget at the time. We guess we should refer to them as short people now, but uh, was in. And Bill Veck had this stunt where he wanted people to come watch the Browns and try to put butts in the seats and um, uh, hired a, a midget to open the game up. And uh, he walked on four pitches. The catcher was on his knees. The pitcher pitched underhanded. He walked him on four pitches. Uh, Bill DeWitt Jr., that currently owns the Cardinals, was the bat boy of the St. Louis Browns at the time. Bill DeWitt Jr.'s father, the original Bill DeWitt, was the general manager of the Browns. The DeWitt family has such a rich baseball history and such a rich St. Louis baseball history, and my dad has a little piece of that. And when I had Bill DeWitt III on the show and we talked about our dads being on the field at the same time and one of the rarest baseball occurrences, sport occurrences ever, you know, back in 1951. It's pretty, pretty cool. So your dad plays professional baseball. You had to be the cool kid on the block. Um, you know, back then it didn't, it just, you know, it was, my dad was such a low key guy and such a, it, it just didn't seem like it, you know, um, 
we, I thought so, but, and, um, you know, when you're the fourth of five kids and, you know, you're, you understand your family is pretty much scrambling day to day, you know, to make ends meet. We didn't get a whole lot of time with dad on the ball field. It, it's, uh, it's unfortunate really, as we, as we got older, we went on some awesome fishing trips and just had some great father son time. And we talked a little bit about that. I was, it was something that made me sad when I was younger because I wanted, I wanted baseball. I didn't want anything else. I wanted baseball. And unfortunately, I couldn't get it. And so I wound up going to golf because I could, golf provided for me what all the other sports didn't, Oliver, and I, because I could do it alone. I spent all this time by myself. I, uh, you know, w- walking around carrying my bag, chasing my ball, trying to figure it out. Um, you know, my recollection of my baseball days was we played church league baseball you know, six games a summer, maybe one practice a week. And whenever we'd have a pickup game, you know, inevitably in the second inning, the shortstop for the other team had to go home, you know, and the game got ruined. And, and it just used to drive me crazy. You know, I, I was one of those freakish kids that wanted more of the same thing over and over and over again, where everybody else was like, let's go just do something else. I'm like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's finish this game. When I was growing up in baseball, it was Lou Brock. Who were you in golf growing up? Oh man, I was Ben Crenshaw. Nice. I was uh, Jack Nicholas. Uh, I was Arnold Palmer. Uh, yeah, my um, uh, I was Tom Watson. You know what blows your mind, Oliver, is then all of a sudden you get to compete against these guys. I mean, I got to play with Jack Nicholas. I got to play with Ben Crenshaw, Tom Watson, Arnold Palmer. That flips you out for a minute. What's it like when you hit three fifty off the tee in front of Palmer? I did that once and just, I was, I, I, I walked up to the first tee with Arnold Palmer, Oliver, and I didn't know if I should genuflect or just bow down because I knew I was in, in the midst of royalty, you know, and this guy was just the coolest person ever. He was like a real life James Bond. You know what I mean? He was just, he was just this down to earth guy, uneducated, but worldly and just he looked you in the eye and just oh man you just paid attention you ever talked to dan o'neill about his palmer story oh yeah danny danny's got to sit down and drink arnold palmer's with arnold palmer yeah i know is that is that i'll tell you a story i um was playing in the arnold palmer invitational at bay hill and i had a couple of good rounds and i was sitting in the players lunchroom uh, and I was just grabbing something to eat and I had my hat on and, you know, and I was sitting there just by myself and, uh, I feel this, it's like a meat hook come on my shoulder, you know, and it's, and I look up and it's Mr. Palmer and I stand up and he says, Hey, I see somebody's name on that leaderboard. And I said, yeah, yes, sir. I, I played pretty well these two days. I really appreciate the tournament. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate this food. You know, this is just awesome for me. And he said, he gets in close to me. And Oliver, he's squeezing my shoulder at the time. Like when you got in trouble at school, you know, when the nuns used to grab you right by the elbow and you used to just kind of flinch. And I'm telling you, the man was strong as hell. And he said, son, do you wear that cap in your home? And I looked at him and I said, yes, sir, Mr. Palmer, I do. And he said, damn it, take it off. And don't ever do that again. And I mean, I went, whoop, you know, ripped that hat off. And I sat down and I was like, dang what just happened you know what what 
I, no one had ever told me not to wear a hat inside, you know, and I, I was young and dumb and, and, and not been around. And um, it's funny because I went out and was hitting balls later on the range and I saw a buddy of mine, Willie Wood, and a buddy of mine, Brad Faxon, and a couple of other guys. And they said, hey, they came over and we were talking. I said, what's up? And they're like, hey, um, did AP did AP bust you for wearing your hat today? And I said, yeah, man, he startled the hell out of me. Actually scared me a little bit, you know? And, he, and I said, how did, I said, how'd you know? They said, well, first of all, we saw it happen to you. And <laughs> second of all, it's happened to us too, you know? So we were all in that generation, Albert, where it was like, what? You know, do you wear your hat in the house? Yeah, we do. Well, I haven't worn a hat in the house since then. Every time I walk into a golf shop, Every time I walk, uh, you know, into any place inside, I try to take my hat off. Do you remember Bum Phillips with the Houston Oilers? Oh, yeah. The one who slid his wife. The reason he took his wife on the road with her was because she was too ugly to kiss goodbye. And he never wore a hat inside the Astrodome because his mama told him not to wear a hat inside. (laughs) So he had a cowboy hat everywhere on the road, but he wouldn't wear it when they were at home. Just Just terrific. I love the color. I love the color of that. It's just wonderful. Hey, Jay, what'd your mom do? You know, my mom, uh, when my dad was playing ball, my three older sisters were traveling and my mom was kind of a stay-at-home mom. About in second or third grade, my mom took a job and she started, uh, she really had a really nice career. She worked for, she worked in the um, fragrances and, and Clinique's and skin care line and things like that. She worked for Clinique for a while. She worked for Oscar de la Renta for a while. Uh, she worked for a company, a Swiss company called La Prairie. Uh, so she had a really, really nice career. Um, crazy as it would imagine, my mother made oodles more money than my dad because of the generation, you know, that my dad played in the MLB. So I guess your house smelled pretty good. It smelled like flowers, brother. <laughs> Except when you were downstairs where my brother and I lived, it did not smell so rosy down there. As, as hard as she tried. She could not get it to smell like that. Yeah, there are, certain, there are certain odors that two young boys can, you know, overcome. Jay, I'm not hearing anybody playing golf in your family. How did you gravitate towards that? Was it a friend? Was it a neighbor? No, it was really my dad. You know, my dad would every once in a while sneak out and play, and I'm like, um, where are you going? And, you know, he was going to play golf. And it really worked out this way, though. There was a really lousy, um, they called it a country club uh, in North County right at Riverview Drive in 270. And if you can imagine that, Albert, it's right on the Mississippi River. And it was a dump. And there was a, there was a pool there. And my sisters loved the sun. My mother loved getting sun and being suntan. And so they were lifeguards down there. Hmm. And connected to that place was North Shore Country Club. It had 27 holes, um, but really it only had about 22 because five of them were flooded out every year because of the river and, and Sounds stuff. Sounds like Tapawingo. Uh, yeah, right. And so I just, you know what, uh, swimming lost its uh, zest for me early on. And so I would jump the fence and grab fine golf balls and grab a club and putt around and not have any, any instruction, no idea what I was doing, but just kind of liked it. Where'd you go to high school? I went to St. Louis U High. I'll never forget. My dad said to me, uh, go get dressed. You're going to go take a test. And I said, it was a Saturday. And I said, you know, I had two pair of shoes. I had good shoes and I had the others. And he said, put on your good shoes. Yeah. 
put on your good shoes. And I'm like, well, I didn't study for any tests. He goes, go get dressed, you know, so in the car, go down there, take the test at Sandwich U High and somehow pass that thing and went there. And, you know, my little brother wound up going to CBC because the U High boys, they wouldn't let him in. <laughs> Crazy. They knew better. Once they had you. I know. They were like Mundell singing. That's all we can tolerate. What's it like when UCLA calls and says they want you to come to school and play golf? You know, you know what's funny, Albert? No internet, no cell phones. Everything was done by, by a post and by a phone calls, you know? And so uh, I was lucky, Albert. I nearly won the U.S. Junior as a 16-year-old. So um, it kind of thrust me onto the big stage and made me one of these blue chip players, you know? So I got, uh, I learned early on that, one of these sports was going to be my, you know, ticket. And I didn't know what it was going to be, but, you know, it became pretty clear right around eighth grade or so that I was going to, I loved the game of golf and wanted to play the game of golf. And I knew I had to get a scholarship or else I wasn't going to go to college, you know, and um, UCLA kind of happened as a fluke. I was out seeing USC and I was out seeing University of Arizona and Arizona state. And the UCLA coach said, Hey, on your way home from, uh, from, uh, Tempe and from Tucson, why don't you swing by Los Angeles? We'd love to meet you. And I said, send me a ticket. You know, that's how it was, you know, we didn't, I didn't have any money. And, then, and, and I was allowed six or eight trips and I still had one or two left. And hell, Oliver, I took them all too. I went to Texas and South Carolina and all these things because yeah. they were free, you know, and I got to see a little bit of the world. And uh, I bet the girls were really ugly at UCLA. Horrible, horribly looking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, Albert. I had a poster in my basement where my brother and I lived. The 88 game winning streak with Bill Walton and John Wooden. And you want to know something really cool? For every six weeks or so, uh, and we were, we were the number one team in the country for a lot of the years when I was at UCLA, we would get to sit down with Coach John Wooden and talk. Did he tell you how high your socks needed to be? He, he, we talked about, uh, be quick, but don't hurry. You know, just, he was just one of these guys that, um, man, he just really, when he spoke, you listen, but you know, what's funny, Oliver, I can remember towards my junior and senior year, we'd look at each other and go, I can't believe we got to go listen to this guy again. <laughs> you, know, you know, how you know, everything when you're 20, right? Give me a, a year, give me a year frame on when you're at UCLA. 79. I got there in September, was it August or September of 79? And then I graduated in 83. Before I forget, do you know the name Ron Meyer from St. Louis yeah, Golf? Yeah, Ron so Meyer. Ron's a friend of the family. Ron's the only guy I've ever played enough golf with to realize if he didn't hit the right shot, he would just drop the ball and hit the perfect shot after because he knew exactly what he had done. And I probably played ah, a couple dozen rounds with him. He's a friend of my dad's. That's the only time I've ever played with anybody that good. And every time he did it, I thought it was like a circus trick. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what? The, is there mirrors going on? What, the, what, is, he, what is he using here to, to, uh, to throw us off? Yeah, um, 1979 was the first year. That was the year that John Wooden retired and Larry Brown was coaching at UCLA. And we went to the finals and lost to Louisville, which we should have never lost to Louisville. Kiki Vanderway had a layup. We were up by five points with like three minutes left, and he missed the layup, and we lost the game. And didn't you win it in 80, though? Larry Brown got one at UCLA, didn't he? No, he was one and done. Okay. He stayed one year, then Larry Farmer came in, and it was, it was kind of a coach's carousel. 
So you brushed over how you guys were excellent at UCLA, and we'll get to the pro tour, but this is just a conversation. We're just back and forth. And so, you know, I'm not a golf guy, but what I read was apparently your team and Wake Forest had a team are often the the discussion on who was the best collegiate team. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. We had I, – I played – so I walk in as a freshman, and Corey Pavin was just – as a sophomore at UCLA, it was just college player of the year. And uh, I had never played with anybody as good as, as Pavin, that's for sure. So Corey and I played two years together. Tom Pernice and I played two years together. Steve Payton and I played four years together. We were the same age. And Duffy Waldorf and I played three years together. He was a year uh, – uh, came a year after uh, I got there. So the five of us have had, you know, long tour careers and nice careers. And uh, my career is the worst of the five. But it's still – you know, it's it's just not that common to find – five good players on the same team like that. Who was the little pro? The little pro is a guy named Eddie Merritt. He's from Meridian, Mississippi. And he, I'll never forget this. I go out there uh, and he's the golf pro at Air Country Club, which is one of my top five favorite courses in the world. And he wore a jacket and a tie in the pro shop. And I've never seen that before. Did you ask him why? He just, that was just his thing. He loved Ben Hogan. When he went out and played golf, he'd, he'd put on a little cardigan, take his, and put his tie on and go play out in a tie. And he, he was just, it was, you know, for him, it was all about, this was uh, about class. This was about a statement about, about who he was. And uh, an old gentleman from Mississippi is who he was. And that's what he uh, wanted to portray to all of us. In our uniforms, we could only wear khakis. We wore khakis, and then we wore khakis. And if we ever got tired of those, we'd put on another pair of khakis. You know, you took a shot at yourself about having the worst career of the team. Uh, I'll, I'll switch bank accounts with you, Jay. Yeah, no, I'm a lucky guy. I, I uh, You won't find a luckier guy. You know, Oliver, the fact that I'm, you know, sitting here, you want to talk to me, the fact that I got in the St. Louis Hall of Fame and some other things, and I'm 60 years old and never had a job, man, I'm, you know, if, the, if I'm sleeping, don't wake me up. You know, just let this thing keep going and let, let, the, let the ride keep going. So you graduated from UCLA. How long does it take you to get your card? Were you able to get it? I got it, I got it the very next year. Wow. So, uh, yeah, and, and basically, I mean, I was a really good player, but I had no idea what I was doing when it comes to trying to play on the tour. And so I basically learned on the tour how to play. You know, and you're playing against – Every all-star – this is like an all-star game every single day now on the PGA Tour. It's not like in college where you'd go play an event and there'd be five good players there and there'd be 100, you know, players total. You know, meaning that there's only a handful of guys that can even win the tournament. Now all of a sudden you're playing in an all-star game and nobody gives a damn if you were an All-American now because everybody was an All-American back then, you know. It's, it's, I've had Terry Metcalf on. I've had Jim Hart on. It's always in football about the speed, how much faster the pro game is yeah. as opposed to the college game. What right. is the comparison between college and pro and golf? Oh, so much. The, the consistency. Mm. The consistency is so much better. The, the streaks, Oliver, when you're good, you know, uh, when you're low, shooting low, these guys just go lights out. I mean, they're not afraid. So it's basically there's no fear. And if you look at the modern tour player now, Oliver, that is 100% true. These kids are so well prepared by the time they get on tour. 
and they are great. When was the first time you were on a course and you thought just perfect, I'm in position, and it didn't happen? Oh, boy. I, I remember in college where I had this tournament won, at least I thought I did, and I came in and I even birdied the last hole. And um, I thought, man, this is great. This is going to be my first college win. I think I was a sophomore at the time. And um, some kid came in and birdied the last three holes or something and tied me, and then we went to playoff and I lost. And it was just this odd feeling where you go, you go through these machinations of thinking that I'm doing, you know, I, kind of one and I haven't won and you know you 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 learn not to think like that again you just keep your head down keep playing the holes that you have in front of you and try to keep making birdies because you just don't ever know what's going on behind you so what tournament did you win once you got that lesson oh gosh the um you know I did it again the next year I uh I for the most part had the tournament won and and uh, lost in a playoff and then went down to, we played the biggest tournament of the year other than the NCAA. We were down in, um, I think we were either at Baton Rouge or, is LSU in Baton Rouge? Yes. Okay, we were in Baton Rouge because it was the LSU Invitational. And Oliver, we had, well, there were 30 teams there and all the best teams were there. And I won the tournament by like six. I, I just kept my head down and kept making birdies. I think I shot like 70, 65, 65, and won by a bunch. And our team wound up winning the, the tournament by five or six. And it was one of those things where, you know, when it was over and someone told me I won, I had no idea by how much. I had no idea what I was shooting. All I was trying to do was keep going with what's in front of me and keep my head down and don't think too much. When you're watching a tournament on television, what can you see that nobody else sees is going on? You know, you can watch a player's body language. You can watch the way he might change some of his routines. We are a routine-driven sport. So our pre-shot routines tend to stay the same. Our, our walking paces tend to stay the same. The amount of time we take, Oliver, and pulling clubs out of the bag and, and hitting the shot tends to stay the same. And when things go haywire, most 99% of people, we go too fast. But you can go too slow and screw yourself up too. It just, you'll, you'll watch body language. Sometimes players will get twitchy. Sometimes they'll just get, they look anxious. You can just see it because we've all been there before. Well, I remember with Garcia, it used to take him two minutes to swing. Yeah, he had all those waggles. Remember that? Oh. How do you correct? I mean, did you have a problem that was like that, that you just knew you needed to fix or this was not going to work out for you? Oh, boy, not really. I was longer than hell, Oliver. I was really long. I just wasn't straight. So, <laughs> you know, when I hit it, I, I tell people the reason that I've met so many people over the years is because I hit my ball where they were. You know, I hit my ball on their blanket over there in the right rough or hit it over in their lawn chair in the left rough. There's not a whole lot of people to meet out in the middle of the fairway. You know, well, I listened to your daily podcast, too, with John Daly, and you called him the longest, straightest hitter? He's unbelievable. He's the longest, straightest hitter that I've ever played with. Yeah, no doubt. He was so far uh, ahead of his time, Oliver, it's not even close. I mean, he was – I was extremely long. John Daly was 40 yards longer than I was. Not 10, 
<laughs> 40, that's an entire, you know, now we call it like the uh, super Walmart. Like what, you know, when you hit a drive like that and you go 40 yards in front of somebody, you look back at the guy who's shorter and go, hey, did you hear about the super Walmart? <laughs> and they'll go, no, what about it? And like, it's the one they're building between my ball and yours. What's it like to sign a car that's got 61 on it? Oh, boy, that was one day that, you know, Oliver, that day the hole looked like a bucket. And um, I made some of the longest putts I had that day and missed some short ones. It was one of those days that just doesn't come often enough. It was really, really special. What was really cool about it, my mom and dad were still alive and got to see me play because it was down in Memphis, so it was close enough. So that, as I look back at that, that was really a thrill. Were your parents always on board about you being a pro golfer? I mean, you got a scholarship to go to UCLA. They had to have known it was in your future. Yeah, they, they were. I mean, my mom wanted me to be a doctor, and I thought I was going to be a doctor. I got good grades and things like that. But once I started, uh, I went out to UCLA, and I, I saw the golf competition, and I, I was like, boy, I don't think so. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to take a go at this golf thing. You thought you, right off the bat, you thought you, met, you measured up? Oh, no. I wasn't sure. Mm. I, um, I was hoping, but it was one of those things, you know, when you're not that smart, like I am, you don't, you're not, a, a, you know, tremendously deep thinker. So it was really, you know, try to stay in the present, try to stay where I am and, and try to do the best I can with what's in front of me. 25 years on the tour. Did you, and I should probably know this, Jay, do you play senior events or are you just done? I played a few senior events, but for the most part, I've been done. But you know, Oliver, something special is happening this year. The uh, Ascension, this amazing uh, charitable hospital group here in St. Louis, is title sponsoring a champions event for the next minimum of the next four years. I believe it'll be longer at Norwood, where I grew up, and they've invited me to play. So I get to play this year in 2021 and my first, it'll be my first competitive event in probably four years. But, uh, you know, I've just got my knee replaced. Um, I'm going to be excited as hell to do it. It's a true, Oliver, a true home game. <laughs> Once in, what, 40 years or whatever. It's, uh, it's just, just terrific. I can't wait. Are they going to play all the holes? How do they work that out? Yeah, no, they'll just play 18 on the West. They'll just and, use the West golf course. And so yeah. for people who don't know, this is 15 years ago, but I got a working knowledge about Ascension. I had a buddy, long story short, they don't charge people who cannot afford to be in the hospital. That's right. They That's donated over $2 billion of care last year. I was in an Ascension billion. hospital in Chicago, again, 15 years ago. It was packed. There were people in dire need and less need. And nobody in that room was paying a bill. They're remarkable. I, I'm just glad that they're finally, you know, um, becoming a little more uh, mainstream. You know, they've kind of flown under the radar here because they don't have a hospital here in town. But this is their headquarters. And, uh, boy, they are terrific people. Nick Ragone is the chief uh, communications and marketing officer. Steve Spratt is the executive uh, marketing guy. Good friends. Uh, just they're, the, they're, they're kind of the, the brain trust that brought this event to St. Louis. And uh, how about this? this? This tells you all you need to know about these guys. In 2020, we were supposed to have our first event. It was supposed to be the last week of September this year in 2020. But because of 
uh, County Executive Sam Page decided it was risky. He wasn't sure if he, what he was going to allow. It was this, it was that. You know, they're a healthcare organization, and rightly so, with the PGA Tour, they decided to postpone it and push back the start of the event, the inaugural event, to next year. These guys' ascension, in a terrible year for them, bottom line-wise, donated $75,000 to the three main charities, Boys and Girls Club, Mary Grove, and um, Urban League of North County, in a year where they didn't have the tournament. It's mm. never happened in the history of the PGA Tour where the event didn't happen, yet the donations were still made. It is. That's, that's, that says it all. That says all you need to know about Ascension. And I'm not asking you right now why St. Louis is so good. You've been everywhere. You've seen a lot of things. What makes St. Louis so different? As it, as I understand it, we really do have something that's different about St. Louis when it comes to golf. You know what it is? It's the people. We're, we're, we're sportsmen here. We're sportsmen and women here. And um, if you watched what happened at Bell Reeve, the people just turned out. They were respectful. The crowds were massive. They could have been completely out of control. And they were really respectful. And they showed up. And it just blew the players away. I mean, how many times did Tiger Woods mention it? Jim Nance mentioned it. I had Jim Nance on the show, and he said, man, St. Louis just did themselves so proud by the way, you know, they, they turned out, how they turned out. And, and um, uh, it's interesting because I've got a lot of hockey buddies played in the NHL and played for the Blues. And do you know how many of them, even after getting traded or leaving here by a free agency, moved their families back here? Martin Brodeur is a great example. His wife lives here. They live here. He loves it. He works for New Jersey Nets, uh, New Jersey Devils now, and they love it here. It seems to me like the middle 80s, kind of that Rob Ramage era, where people just started to say, I'm not moving back to Canada, so if I'm not doing that, where should I live? And they all just said, I, I like it here. And now you look at the arena down in the valley, you look at all the other places that Ice time used to be like three places you could play. Now, per capita, we might have as many ranks as anybody per capita. It just kind of seems like if you give people the respect and you don't harass them and don't, you know, around every corner be looking, looking for something, 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 it's a good place, especially when you see big cities and all the problems that come with those kind of places. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, um... As long as you're not tied to the weather, because our weather here is just atrocious, but everything else, cost of living is good. The schools are really good. Um, you know, when I had Coach uh, Barubi on the show, and he talked about the, um, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful sports town. You know, the fact that he was able to bring uh, this town its first Stanley Cup, you know, will forever He'll never have to buy a drink in this town. He'll never <laughs> have to buy another meal. You know, he's... Um, uh, he's, he, he did things, you know, that most people didn't think were possible. You had a stint in television. How did you like that? You know, it was interesting. Um, I was completely unprepared and television, the way golf television, uh, rolls, they, um, they didn't do anything to prepare you. You either sink or you swim. And I'm not, I did some sort of variation of both. I think I've sunk a little bit and I think I swam a little bit. Um, uh, it's not nearly as organized as I thought it would be. It's kind of like pure panic 
uh, all of a sudden, boom, we're on and here we go. And, you know, I'm walking the course at Chambers Bay and they go to me seven times my first day of ever doing it with one half hour practice before that. And the battery in my headset's no good. So they go to me seven times and five of them, my battery's no good, so I can't say anything. <laughs> so Joe Buck convinces you to do it. Are you on the phone the next day going, Joe, what have you talked me into? Oh my gosh, Joe is such a pro and I love Joe's dad. Like Joe's dad was such a cool person and and um, uh, I'll forever be grateful, you know, for Joe for thinking of me and and uh, and and you know at least opening that door at Fox. It's a Fox was, you know, it was, it was disappointing really because uh, we really we really weren't that good. You know, it's hard to be good at that. You need you need some chemistry. We kept moving people around, and we didn't. You know, there's a lot of things I'd like to do over if we could, but none of them were my say. It was just you know just kind of. Here's a microphone, shut up and go, you know, start calling golf. Well, all things considered, you're kicking butt with the podcast. So maybe that gave you the teeth to do what you're doing now. Right. I think I well, thank you for the podcast. Yeah, the show is doing terrific. I certainly have a face for radio, which uh, makes this work. And, um, you know, the show is really fun. It's um, we're not a recap show, Oliver. We're not we're, we're like you and I talking at a bar. You know, I just had. Curtis Strange, I just interviewed Curtis Strange yesterday, and we talked for an hour. I've got an hour's worth of interview with Curtis Strange. I've had lunch with that man probably 25 times. He hasn't said 10 words to me. And we talked like we had long lost friends over here because there wasn't the competition factor, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the show was really fun. I got, a, I got Vince Gill coming on. Vince Gill is one of the coolest, most humblest, most talented guys I ever had a chance to interview. And he had some great stories, just some really fun stories. And um, I've been, I've got kind of a gaudy uh, guest list, really. I had Jim Nance and, and, and Bob Costas. We've had, I've had Faraday on and have him again. We just got, I've got Scott Van Pelt coming on. I've got uh, Ernie Els coming on. We've got a lot of great guests. I've got invitations out to Phil. I don't know if he'll take it, probably not. Tiger. Probably not, but he might. I'm I'm going to go after Condoleezza Rice. I think she'd be a fascinating person to talk to. She loves the game of golf. And uh, so this co commonality, Oliver, and this common thread that we share in this game, it's just absolutely wonderful. And you can be Tony La Russa, who's been on the show, or Brett Hall, who's a Hall of Famer, or Chris Carpenter, who's an absolute man stud on the mound and I had a great interview with, and they – talk about the game and compare it to their sport. And my nephew, Taylor Twelman was on there and just, he's a, he's a great golfer and doing great stuff with ESPN soccer. So we try to just cover the whole gamut, but every, every single person, we got local pros on I'm, I'm going to uh, have Randy Carricker on, who's a dear friend. And I know I've been on your show before and a true St. Louisan. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm really having fun with it. And if I'm hearing it right, we're talking a lot of people downloading. First of all, a lot of people downloading it. But before I forget, I don't think I mentioned the name of the podcast. So plug the show on uh, Espen and plug the podcast name. Right. So we're on 101 ESPN on Sunday mornings, 9 to 10. Thank you, Oliver, for this. And it's, um, it's called Golf with Jay Delsing. Pretty simple. And um, um, we're going to – we've got some great sponsors. We've got some neat people. Um, 
but you can find the podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts on Podcast One or Spotify, Buzzsprout. Uh, you can go to my site, jdelsongolf.com. You can go to 101ESPN.com. You can go to Apple Music. We have it anywhere. And um, I'd love to hear from you, um, jay at jdelsongolf.com, and, and hear what you want to want more of, want less of, want less of you, less of me talking. I understand. You know, what do you like? We have a segment called Whack and Chase, Oliver, that my, my buddy John Perlis and I does a show with me. We formulated it after the old NPR series, Car Talk, where the two brothers click and clack, you know, solve your car issue. Well, we're solving your golf issue. So if you want to come and talk, you know, I, I'm an ex-tour player. I'll give you some advice on how to screw up your game a little more, you know. I'm glad to do that for you. It's uh, We're just having fun. We're trying to stay authentic. And just, we really want, like when I was talking to Curtis the other day, I said to him, I really want people to know what it's like to be inside the ropes. That's what I'm trying to do. And he's like, hell yeah, let's do that. When you have Fred Couples on, ask him what it's like to live the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you swing like that, man? That is so awesome. God, I hate that guy. And the other thing about the <laughs> podcast, too, if I heard you right, correct me if I'm wrong. Sometimes the show on Espen needs to be edited so the podcast might have absolutely little morsels. Yeah, Michael Collins, who has shows on Sirius FM and, uh, oh gosh, PGA Tour Network and things like that. It's a good friend. And man, we were, on the, we were on the interview for like an hour and 10 minutes. And so the show's only an hour. And we had to edit a bunch of that out. So yeah, you'll get to hear the whole thing. And uh yeah, it's it's fun. It's uh, it's raw. It's uh, it's good. All right. So as we get ready to wrap this up again, if people are liking this and want to hear other OT with Oliver's, much like Jay's podcast, it's wherever you get your podcast. OT with Oliver. After this is over, we're going to jump over and do a St. Louis Seven. You can see that on YouTube. That YouTube channel is OT with Oliver. One thing I have not heard during your show, and I guess I preface that because if you have, then I just need to go listen to some other episodes sure. but what is not your favorite golf movie but your most authentic golf movie Ooh. so those are two different things my favorite golf movie for sure is caddyshack and there is some authenticity in caddyshack because if you grew up as a caddy you definitely you know there's some gambling going around and things like that but um oh gosh uh the most authentic golf movie Boy, I don't know. I, I, I don't have, I mean, Tin Cup was fun and it had a lot of, you know, my buddies in it and stuff, but wasn't very authentic. Um, I don't know if there really has been anything that's been that authentic that's, that shows what it's like to play on the PGA Tour. And I don't call this authentic as I asked you the question, but Bagger Vance snuck up on me. Yeah. You know, Oliver, that's that cool journey to find your original swing, to find, you know, and that's like trying to just be true to yourself as a human being. And, and I think golf brings that out. And so from, from Bagger Vance, I, I love the movie. I thought it was great. It, it, it wasn't, it didn't like check all my boxes though, in terms of the, the question that you asked. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what it, I don't really know what it would be in terms of like when I think of authentic, I mean, maybe, maybe the, the, the fun of Caddyshack and the, the country club atmosphere and everything is what resonates to me because I 
was on the outside looking in there. You know, I was, wasn't a country club kid. I was working at the country club. And so maybe that is the most authentic because it was more similar to, you know, my experiences. But um, the Legend of Bagger Vance was very cool because it just struck your heart. You know, it talked about your heart and talked about uh, finding that authentic swing and being true to who you are. Well, and talk about striking a chord. Did you see the documentary on, on Seve? Oh my gosh, I don't, is that a 30 for 30? No, it's, it's a 72 minutes movie. Oh no, I've got to, because I've got to check it out. You got to check it out. Playing with Seve and uh, yeah, I I will very much enjoy that. Well, the end was just so bizarre in regards to his life and how he got to where he was and then the struggles that he was having. And so anyway, if you haven't seen it yet, it's, it's worth the 72 minutes. You know what's interesting, Albert? Nobody owns this game. Hmm. Nobody owns this game. Very few men, women go out on top. You know, we stay, we stay longer because we enjoy it. We enjoy the struggle. We do, and the struggle winds up, you know, overwhelming us. I mean, if you look at, like I talked to Curtis, he, he hasn't played any golf in years. Because once you're, you play at a really high level and you can't play at that high level anymore, it's not a whole hell of a lot of fun. I can see that. All right, so that leads me to a question I thought I might ask you. Yeah. A lot of times uh, I have Guy Phillips on, or if I've got other people who are not golfers on, I ask them, what was your favorite putt made? This is my question for you because you've got too many favorite putts. What's the best time you were at a pro-am and an amateur just went nuts and you just, you were a part of his experiences? Is there a memory where you were sitting there with somebody who's not a pro and you just said, that's why I love golf. This yeah. doctor just went nuts. Yeah, I have a friend. He's a dear, dear friend now. We are really close. His name is Bruce Rafuse. He lives in Toronto. And he was about a 16 handicap. And this is funny because the quirk in the schedule had us playing in Vancouver one week and then had us playing at uh, the Canadian Open in Toronto the week after. And he played in both pro-ams. And I got to play with him in the first pro-am. I think the first pro-am was in Vancouver and then we went back to um, Toronto and he was a 16 handicap Oliver and he must have made three natural birdies that day and <laughs> several pars and I mean he could have just walked across the lake at Glen Abbey you know and he he um, now we're dear friends we talk about that experience all the time and you know you don't see 16 handicappers pull that sort of stuff off on the on the extreme demanding you know PGA Tour type courses very often man it was it was really awesome. Hey, you nailed that one. Appreciate that answer. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love the pro-ams. I mean, that's basically how I formulated my business. You know, I have a, a hospitality and entertainment business, right? I, I do anything golf-related. I take people to golf trips. I set up golf programs for their companies to do all sorts of things. I have great access to wonderful places across the country. And, uh, yeah, it's just another way to go out and play golf and hang out and you know, tell stories and get more stories to tell. <laughs> Jay, I enjoyed this. I'm going to ask you one last question. And I do typically know the last question I'm going to ask in an interview. So yeah. people who listen to this podcast are about to drop to the floor because I'm going to quote the Bible, but I'm going to do it for a reason. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That ringing a bell? Yeah. Well, that was years and years and years ago. But I mean, think about that. You know, so many parents want their kids to get scholarships. They want them to do this. They want them to do that. But do it through encouragement, 
Don't do it through any, don't force them to, you know, remember the Saturday Night Live skit that had, you know, Earl Woods super gluing clubs in Tiger's hands when he was three years old, <laughs> you know, uh, and obviously that's tongue in cheek, but, you know, it, it just, uh, man, it, it may work out, it may not work out, but if you do it through encouragement, you're going to get a relationship that's going to stand the test of time. And regardless of the sport, because the sport is going to come and go. You know, if it's golf, you still you get to play it for a lifetime, but we're not going to play it when we're dead, Oliver. You know, we, we don't get to outlast it that way. And so there's always a shelf life to all that. And at the end, you just really hope to have that relationship, man, especially with your kids. Many parents get in the way of that and screw that up. And it just, it's gut-wrenching sometimes. You know, and Jay, I'm a father of three, and I don't know much, but this is what I kind of think I know. I don't care if you're a football guy growing up. I don't care if you're a tiger growing up. I don't care if you're a violinist growing up. They all seem to implode about five years on their own. Look what happened when Earl died. Right. When Earl Woods, Earl Woods, Earl died the same day my father died mm. in 2006. And we watched, you know, some, if, let me just put it this way, Oliver. What kind of record books would the PGA Tour, with the USGA, with the Royal and Ancient have if Earl Woods would have stayed around for another 15 years? Seriously? Right. This kid would have rewritten every single rule, uh, every single uh, record that could have been had. But, you know, you, we've seen these phenoms. I played golf with some of these guys that were playing in the Masters when they were 16 and 17, and I go play with them in college, and they're lived lost. They've lost it. They burnt out. They don't care anymore. There's, you know, it's just we're not machines like that. You know, you 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 don't um, you don't just plug in and play. You know, there has to be heart in this stuff. There has to be spirit. There has to be something more than just flesh and bones that are making this thing go. It's heart, it's soul, it's that whole thing, Oliver, to me. And, and I think that just, gets, that just gets assumed that it's, you know, taken for granted or that it's there, it's not there, but it's, it's a huge part of it. Hey, first time talking with each other, first time meeting each other, hope you had a good time. Great time, loved it. And give um, one more time on the podcast, name. It's Golf with Jay Delsing. You can find it anywhere. Podcast One, Buzzsprout, Spotify, jdelsinggolf.com, 101ESPN.com, Apple Music, anywhere you can find it. Download it. Send me an email, jay at jdelsinggolf.com, and tell me what you want to hear more of. I'd, I'd love to try to provide it for you. And how do you end every one of your podcasts? Uh, hit them straight, St. Louis. Take care, man. We'll talk soon. Okay. Awesome. Alrighty, another one for the books. Thanks for subscribing. Don't forget to watch Jay's St. Louis 7 on your YouTube channel, OT with Oliver. We got another great one, St. Louis Conversation, coming up this Thursday. We will see you then. As we do, thanks for your time, this time, till next time, so long.